Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. How y'all doing? Good, good. Uh, you got a Bible open with me, Galatians chapter 5. Um, uh, you know, years ago I was memorizing the book of Philippians. And as I was memorizing, I came across Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, for me to see, to speak the same things to you again is not burdensome, but for you it is a safeguard. And uh, safeguard, that was the soap we always use. So I call these sermons today soap sermons. Because for you, it's a safeguard. It should be the smallest soap in your house. You should use this one, and that's the reason I'll say the same thing again. So you're not going to hear anything new if you've been around 10 years. Nothing new today. But if you're new to Harvest Ridge and this is your first time, well, hey, get geared up. You're going to hear it again and again and again. There's some things worth repeating, right? Anybody have toddlers in your household? Yeah? Yeah? Have you ever said the same thing more than once? Like... 10 million times, right? And what do you want? What do you want? Come on, what do you want as a parent when you say the same thing to that toddler for the 10 millionth time? What do you want? You want them to simply do what you said, right? Am I correct? Right? So as a pastor, what do I want from this message today? I want you to do what I'm about to preach to you. Y'all ready? So Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, would you stand in honor of God's word? And I think you guys can probably say this one with me. I think this, yep, yeah, you ready? It is for freedom that Christ set us free. I think we could say it again. Y'all ready? It is for freedom Christ set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. If you think God wants you to follow him so he can heap more rules on you or take away your freedoms or give you a miserable life or whatever it is that you may view about God, I want you to know that you think the wrong thing about him. What God wants for you is what? Freedom. freedom. This is what God wants for you. He wants freedom. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be able to just live life to its fullest. It's what he wants for you. It's what God wants for you. And if you have any other view of God other than that, you need to change your view because that's not who God is. So with that being said, and I want you to think about God's nature and his desires for you. We're going to say this again. Y'all ready? Everybody together. And if they didn't say it next to you, I want you to turn at them and say, be careful. I spit. <laughs> and if you don't say it with me, I may spit when I talk. All right. So come on, say it with me. Everybody say it together. Y'all ready? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Father, I pray that today you would add the truth of your word to our hearts and that we, like your children and like our children, we would actually listen and start doing this truth today and not simply leave it in the realm of religious truth, we would make it practical, day-to-day -day living. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Now that you didn't spit on them, give them a big smile before you sit down. Let them know that you like them and that hey, you're all right. Hey, if you're online, I like you. A big smile to you. Did you guys smile at each other? I'm not sure you did, because normally when you smile, people talk and laugh and stuff like that. And I said smile, and everybody's like, 
Listen, that's boring church. Now look at them and give them a real smile and say hi to them like you really mean it. Just give them a smile and a hi. There you, there you go. So why can't pirates recite the alphabet? Because they always get lost at sea. Why do sharks live in salt water? Because pepper makes them sneeze. Now, over the past few weeks, I've been proclaiming to you that we do not live under Old Testament rules, that we do not have to obey any part of the law, that it is canceled, obsolete, and fulfilled, and you do not have to live in the law. Now, the question then I hear from people is, well, then how do we know what's right and wrong? And if you're asking that question, what's right or wrong, you're over the age of 40. And you were probably raised in church. Because over the age of 40 and raised in church, you care about moral right and wrong. And, and some of you over the age of 40, caring about moral right and wrong, have heard me say that we don't have to obey the law and the law doesn't apply to us anymore. And you got nervous, didn't you? Come on, can you be honest with me? How many of you got nervous when I was telling you you don't have to obey any rules? Come on, you can be honest. Just wave at me real quick. You're one of those, you got nervous? Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. Well, you, you should. So what do we do then? Hmm. How do we, how do we live if we don't have to obey any rules? Wow. That sounds so scary. It is for rules that Christ has called you in. Is that what it said? Is for what? Freedom. Now, if you're under 40, you don't care about rules because you were not raised to think that rules are right and wrong. You were raised to believe that that is not a moral real wonderful thing. You, what, what you're all to, as a matter of fact, you don't even care about morals. All you care about is I want to be happy. If you're under the age of 40, the moral of our culture right now is the ultimate good you can have in your life is you be happy. That's, that's what you're told everywhere you go. That's what you see everywhere. Being happy is the ultimate good. So the question isn't how can I do the right thing? When I was a kid, I used to wonder how close I could get to sin without sinning. You know, how close can I get before I sin? Yeah, that was my language. Now it's like, I don't care. What can I do to be happy? That's, that's what everybody's asking in our culture. So I want to I say that this isn't a new thing. Aristotle, 350 BC, Aristotle said, happiness is the meaning and purpose of life. So apparently this isn't something new. Happiness is my ultimate good isn't new. As a matter of fact, this is something that's been around for literally not just centuries, but millennia. Well, so I want to I then answer the question today. How can you be happy? Is that all right? If happiness is your ultimate desire in life, and that's what we're told the ultimate goal of our life is, well, then I ask you a question. Does the Bible talk about how you can be happy? So let's talk about what happy is. So what do we define happy as? Happy is whatever makes me feel good makes me happy, Right? You don't like, you're not happy if it makes you feel bad, right? How many of you like puking over a toilet? Oh, yes, that makes me happy. No, no. Nobody gets the flu and says, oh, that was the happiest week of my life, right? But if it feels good, that makes us happy. Am I correct? But I want to submit something to you, and I want you to think about it. We're going to put these words on the screen. And these words say simply this, sustained momentary pleasure is impossible to attain. Sustained momentary pleasure is impossible to attain. Somebody, I heard them put it this way. They said, even lobster 
begins to taste like soap if you eat it for every meal. And I would like to find that out. But you know, pleasure, pleasure and, and what we'll call happiness or pleasure, that momentary buzz of happiness, it has diminishing results. Y'all would agree with that, right? Anybody ever ride a roller coaster? First time you rode a roller coaster, you got off, you're like, whoa, that was amazing. And now you're like, yeah, I read that roller coaster five times. I need a new one. Am I correct? So you need a new roller coaster with a bigger, higher hill and more inverted flops to give you the same buzz that you got when you were on the Mickey Mouse roller coaster at age 10. I, I'm right there, right? And, and you, know, um, you know, alcohol. First time you drank and got that buzz, you're like, oh, and then what happens is now you drink a whole bottle and you can't get the buzz because you need more to obtain the same thrill you had before. Used to, a flirtatious note in fifth grade, do you like me, check yes or no, sent your heart into flutters. Now you have to have sex with them. Are, are, are we talking, am I talking language you can understand today? I, I'm being very, very clear with you right here, right now, that, uh, you know, the first time you got a paycheck and you looked at that paycheck, you were like, oh, this is awesome. Now you got to get a bigger paycheck to make you get the same buzz. You know, used to, you buy one thing. Now you got to buy a closet full of things. Used to, it was one bite. Now you got to eat the whole cake. Are, are y'all following me? Because Sustained momentary pleasure is impossible to attain because your flesh, your body, and we're going to talk about your flesh, your body is designed so that it is never fully and permanently satisfied. Hmm. So when a person overeats, they gain weight, they destroy their health, they increase their stress, and then they spin out of bad relationships with the people around them because it all starts with overindulging your flesh. And don't tell me that doesn't happen because I've lived with people that it does. Therefore, being happy or living in pleasure at all times is actually impossible. It is impossible for you to be happy all the time because if you're happy in one moment, it goes away. Then you have to do more to get your happiness back. Okay. And since we grow accustomed to the pleasure, we need new levels of the same thing to obtain the same old buzz. Therefore, you can never be happy by pursuing pleasure. A person who pursues casual sex winds up having trouble connecting in relationship to other people, and they wind up lonely. And if you don't believe it, watch Bohemian Rhapsody. Anybody see that movie? I watched it the other night. I, was, I wasn't going to. We said we weren't going to watch it. I watched it. I'm like, because, you know, I grew up during that era. So I understand the story. And I watched. And as I watched, what I, what I watched is a guy destroy everything around him for the pursuit of momentary pleasure. Maybe you saw something else. That's what I saw. Go back and rewatch it. My, my point is this, is that I've not only seen that from a movie, I've seen that out of my life and my family's life. I've seen that out of your life. I've seen that out of our culture, our world. The more you pursue momentary pleasure, the emptier you literally become as a human being. Therefore, long-term happiness is increased when we discipline our desire for pleasure instead of fulfill it. 
I don't think he got that. Our long-term happiness actually is increased when we discipline our momentary desire for pleasure instead of fulfill it. That best way to be happy in life is literally to cause yourself to not do the things that make you feel happy. It's true. <laughs> so when we commit to healthy eating and exercise, which is always joyous, we have better health for years to come and are happier for years to come. When we reject drug and alcohol abuse and give up the buzz, we actually have better and healthy lives and relationships for years to come. When we reject casual sex or what the world calls okay sex, we have a better chance of healthy relationships long-term because God designed you to function sexually the right way, which is his way, and that is actually the way to be happier when you're older than when how our world tells you to do it. When we control our finances instead of blowing up our credit cards to buy more stuff, we have a better chance of being financially secure in the long run, which makes us happier long run. So why were you just pushing back against me mentally? Why were you just sitting here saying, he's an old fogey doggy, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't understand life. He doesn't understand me. Why, why were you pushing back? Well, he's not right. I'm just telling you that you're going to be happier long term if you discipline yourself instead of give in to your pleasures. And you were pushing back in your head saying, what does he know? Why? 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 What is it within you that would push back against somebody that really loves you and wants what's best for you, like God? Why would you push back against God's way of doing it? Because you want something? Why? Why does a two-year-old, why, why do they do the same thing over and over again knowing they're going to be disciplined? Why do, you do, why do you do that? What is it within you that makes you want to destroy yourself and other people around you and then blame them while they're, you're destroying yourself? Why? Have you ever asked that question? Why is it somebody gives me good advice and I push back, well, what does the old guy know? Everybody needs credit card debt. No, you don't. No, you don't. Do you know who needs credit card debt? Stupid people. Because if you're paying 20% interest for, poo for pooping out food, you already ate. You're dumb. If it's already down the toilet and you're paying for it for six more months, you're dumb. Oh, but we love each other. Really? If you can't tell your kids about it when you're 40 years old, you don't love each other. You're in heat. That's not what's good for you. Are y'all following me here? Why are you pushing back? Why are you pushing back against it? I'll tell you why. It's because your flesh wants it. You want to think like everybody else in our culture. You want to fit in. Listen, do you know what happens when you fit into the culture of this world? You die like this world. But you know what? There is life in Jesus. It is for freedom Christ set you free. It is for what? 
freedom. God does not want things for you to keep you in bondage and to keep you from having fun. He actually wants you to live a happy life, not just this moment, but for the rest of it and for all eternity. That's what God wants for you. So today, Paul's going to declare that we're in a war with one another. We're in a war with ourselves. We have a war going on. My flesh wants to be satisfied. But we've already defined. By the way, can I tell you, I've got a problem with the NIV, the New International Version. I have a problem with that. The problem I have is whenever you see the word sinful nature translated in the NIV, I I want you to do something. If you ever see sinful nature in the NIV and you're reading along and it says, you know, that we have a sinful nature, I want you to do yourself a favor because I know what the Greek says. I want you to take your pen. I want you to mark it out really good. You can even dig through a paper. I don't care. Mark it out. And I want you to put the word above it, flesh. Because you don't have a sinful nature, you have a flesh. Sinful nature is a, is a catalyst overlay, or not catalyst, uh, um, what do they call it? A Calvinist overlay. But I'm not going to get into that theology. You don't have a sinful nature. Do you know what? You have a flesh. You know what your flesh is? Your flesh gets thirsty, right? Anybody ever go outside this past week and you exercise or work or mow your grass and you came in and you were what? You were thirsty, right? Thirsty. So you did what? You're evil. How dare you satisfy your flesh? You know, you're not evil. Your flesh needs water. What do you give your flesh? Water. Therefore, I drank a big glass of water, and therefore, I will never need to drink another glass of water ever again because I satisfied my flesh, right? No? You mean I'm going to have to drink water again? So my flesh is never satisfied. It's not evil that I want water. You know what else isn't evil? Your body gets hungry, right? Anybody, your body gets hungry? My flesh and spirit, they were fighting last, this past week. They were fighting. I was, I was over at Sam's Club. Now, I've made a goal that I'm going to see my abs before this summer's over. I've never seen my abs. I mean, I don't have a six-pack. I carry the whole keg. Now, that being said, I want to see my abs. So I'm like disciplining myself. I'm losing weight. I'm working out extra hard. I want to see them before I turn 55 because I can't drive 55. A couple of you are old enough to get that. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to see my abs. I want to do it once before I die. And I know this is my last chance. So I'm working on it. So I'm at Sam's Club the other day and I got a goal and I'm working on my goal. And we walk past a key lime pie. <laughs> key lime pie or abs. Abs or key lime pie. <laughs> What do you, always, there's always 60. Wow. All right. What do you think won? Come on. What did I have last night? Big tall glass of milk and key lime pie because my flesh is weak. Right? But but I mean, the struggle is real, right? So I eat that piece of pie, so I'll never want another piece of pie, right? No, I'm going to. I did not eat the whole pie. I have some discipline left. Now, my point is this, is that your flesh needs food. Your flesh needs water. Your flesh needs rest. Do you ever get, come on, those of you mothers of toddlers, come on. Don't you just want 10 minutes to sit down somewhere and take a nap because you haven't slept in four years, two years or four years. I've got three toddlers in the house. I don't know what sleep is, right? Am I correct? And you're evil, of course, for wanting a nap, right? 
No, you're not evil. Your body is tired. You need a nap. Are, are you all following me here? Your body is not sinful. Your body also has sexual desires. Did you know that? It's not evil that your body has sexual desires. But just like it would not be healthy for me to eat a whole pie, so it would not be healthy for you to manifest your sexual desires in a way that will destroy you for years to come. God's not trying to be a cosmic spoil sport. He, he's the one that made you. He designed you. He's not, by the way, Jesus, when Jesus was tired, what did he do? He slept one time in the front of a boat, totally asleep, gone, right? They had to wake him up. And it, I don't understand this. Everybody was wet and the boat was swamped, but Jesus was still asleep. Come on, I get wet in the middle of the night. I get dreams that I'm peeing myself. I don't know. <laughs> This guy's weird. You bet I am. All right, welcome to my world. I have flesh too. All right, so come on. We, right, you've had those dreams, right? You know what I'm talking about. All right, so anyway, uh, my, my whole point in this is your flesh is not evil. Jesus ate. Jesus drank. Jesus had desires. Your flesh isn't evil. But your flesh, when you let it control you, will destroy you. So God gave us something else, not just our flesh. He gave us a spirit. And he says that we have a spirit that is from him. If you believe in Jesus Christ, God has given his spirit to you. Romans 8, 16, for the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the spirit was born dead and it's now resurrected when you accept Christ and you have a spirit of God resurrected living in you and it is at war with your flesh. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the warfare between your flesh and spirit and how you win. So I believe we got this quote up on the screen. I wanted to say it. The only way to long-term happiness is to follow the spirit, not the flesh. The only way to long-term happiness is to follow the Spirit, not the flesh. Now, God's Spirit's alive within you, and He's speaking to you all the time. The problem is you don't want to hear it. I'll give you a perfect example of how God's Spirit's speaking to you. There was a couple came to me one time. They were talking in my office about their, their son, that he was out of control. He was losing discipline. He wouldn't obey, and they were, they were angry, and they were frustrated. And it was affecting their marriage. Both of them were believers. So we sat in my office, and I said to him, what do you think you should do? And between the two of them, in about three minutes, it didn't take long, about three minutes, they outlined an approach of discipline, an approach to their son that would pull him back into the place they should have had him. And I asked them, why haven't you been doing this? It's so hard. I said, well, are you going to do it? You've outlined to me the answer. God's already talking to you the answer. Are you going to do it? Well, I, I don't know if it's the right thing or not. You guys sit here and agreed in three minutes, you gave me a plan of action, yet you won't do it because, and I'm going to quote Jesus, the spirit is willing but your flesh is weak. There's a war going on. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you already the answer to every problem you are involved in. Every struggle you have, he is speaking to you the answer. Every issue you have, he's speaking to you the answer, but yet you're ignoring it because you don't want to do the work that it takes to get the victory God promises. All right, so let's talk about the first thing 
We find out in this struggle, flesh versus the spirit is we are free from the flesh. And I'm just going to read this really quick. It's from Galatians chapter 4, but I want to establish theologically from the scripture that we are free from the flesh. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. The son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but the son according by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. This is the key to what Paul is saying. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two, the women represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, which is the law, and bears children that are to be slaves. That's Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai and Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, at that time was a slave under Roman rule, because she is in slavery with her children. But the children... The children of, of Sarah is from the heavenly Jerusalem. It says, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So there are two ladies. Abraham had two wives. One was a slave girl, and the, the children of the slave girl were not the children of the promise. And then there were the children of Sarah, which were the children of the free woman, and they were children who inherit the promise. And what Paul says in verse 31 is this, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. That means we are free and we inherit the promises of God. In Galatians 5.1, that's where we come to our, this text then. The very next verse, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves go back to slavery. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by slavery. So let's say Doug here. I'll, I'll pick on Doug. All right, Doug. Let's say Doug is stupid. He go, he's not, so we're pretending. And let's say Doug is stupid, and he goes out, and um, he starts spending well above his means. He buys a house he can't afford. He buys some cars he can't afford, and he runs up a debt. And, you know, they're going out to these lobsters at John, or lobster meals at John Q's and wherever, and they're putting it on credit card, and he's getting charged 20% interest. And then he opens another credit card because the other one's full, and he opens another credit card, and he's got all this debt, and he runs up between his houses, his cars, his other things. He runs up about $500,000 of debt. And then all the creditors come, and they crash on him and say, Doug, we need our money. And he says, I can't pay it. And he's going to go bankrupt and lose his house, his cars, probably his job because I know his job. He's going to lose all those things. Maybe even his spouse and his kids. His whole world's going to crash, right? Everything's going to crash on him. His wife laughed because she might divorce him for being that stupid. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. All right, so then I come to Doug and I say, Doug, Doug, I got a deal for you. You owe $500,000. Here's a check. Pay all your bills. Now, first of all, I wouldn't cash that check if I were you, Doug, if it's coming from me. But second of all, if, if that were a real check, because this is makeup world, and I gave him $500,000 to pay off all of that debt, now he's free. And then two days later, he goes out and buys a brand new, like, Lincoln Navigator with the rolly little spike wheels on it, and he lowers it and puts a big speaker boom system in it so you can hear him, because that's how he rolls. Hear him coming down the street, right? He does that and he puts it on credit after I just paid off $500,000 of credit for him. What do you think my attitude toward him will be? Not good, right? Jesus Christ set you free 
from every sin you have ever committed and every stupid decision you've ever done. He, he has given you freedom and release and paid the penalty for it. Now, you may have to live with the results, but he paid for it. When you turn around and you go back into stupid living debt, what do you think his attitude towards you is? It, and, and I'm going to quote this verse again. It is for freedom Christ has set you free. Don't go back to your slavery. God did not deliver you from slavery to sin in this world so you could go back to it. So since we're free from the slavery of the flesh, what should we do? We should live life in the Spirit. We should live life in the Spirit. Just a background for you, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. He redeemed us, Jesus Christ redeemed us, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So the ultimate promise that God has is that his Spirit is not in heaven somewhere, it's literally living in you. The Holy Spirit of God has resurrected your dead spirit because you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He has resurrected, made you alive, and he talks to you and walks with you and interacts with you, and he tells you things, and that is the greatest thing you can have. You get an advantage over everybody else in the world because God's talking to you about how to win and to be truly happy in your life. So the Spirit, if we will listen to the Spirit, that's the only way we win against the flesh because we've already said our flesh isn't evil, but it leads us to want more and more and more, correct? So here we are. Galatians 5, 16, and I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh, and they are in conflict. There's a war between each other so that you don't do what you want. You know, you want to do some dumb stuff, right? Me and my key lime pie, right? I, I could give you lots of stories you, you think, I know what you think, the holy man of God is telling us how to live holy. Bull. I'm not a holy man of God. You know what I am? I'm a guy that struggles with sin and temptation just like you. As a matter of fact, I might say I even am tempted a little more than you. You know why? You know why? Because if you get the leader, the army gets scattered. I could take you to dozens of churches where that's happened, right? Dad, dad, listen to me, dad. You are the leader of your household, and that's the reason your flesh wants to play golf on Sunday morning instead of coming to church. Because if the devil can get you off of the path that God has for you to bring freedom to your household, dad, the rest of the household is going to suffer. Right? Right? And, and you know what? I, I respect ladies, but I'm going to tell you, guys, you were given something ladies do not have. Guys, I, I respect ladies, and I think you are awesome ladies, and I think the world of you. And, but I'm going to tell you, there is a, there's a war going on against dads to try to keep them from being men of God and men of faith. And I could take you to stats to prove all that, but I'm not going to take time. So if you're the leader, so, so let me tell you. I probably not only am tempted, I'm probably tempted a little more. So what I'm preaching you today is not heady knowledge or wordy things from, or something to sound good. Guys, this is my life. 
I wake up in the morning, I've got to live this just as much as you do. So this isn't some philosophical idea. This is practical, proven way of approaching life. And notice this, that you don't do what you want. Listen, if you don't want to sin, hold on. There is none of you that you don't want to sin. Because you know why you want to sin? Because you like it. And you know what sin is? Sin is missing the mark of God's best. And what that means is this. If you miss the mark of God's best, you will never be happy because God wants you to be free. Right? So what you're doing is, if if you're following your own fleshly desires, you're actually missing the best life you could live. So, the works of the flesh are obvious. Let's talk about the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In case he missed anything, Paul says. And anything else like that. Because he's not trying to make an all-inclusive list. He's just simply saying, these are the kind of things that happens when you follow your flesh. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why not? Because they're too busy inheriting their fleshly pleasure for a moment. And we've already heard that once you start this, you've got to do more to get the same buzz. By the way, how many of you want to be married to this person? Not you be this person. How many of you want to be married to this person? You know, wake up in the morning instead of, here, dear, here's a cup of coffee. It's, why don't you do something around this house? How many of you want to wake up to that in the morning? Huh? Why don't you want to wake up to that? Because we don't like hatred when it comes at us. We don't like discord when it comes at us. We don't mind making it sometimes when we're upset, but we really don't like it when it comes at me. I I feel like right there, either you're tired or something's going on because can we just identify that we don't want people treating us like this? Do you really want people treating you like this? Is this what you want to be married to? Is this what you want your neighbors to be? You know, the dog comes over, poops in your yard, and you like go over, pick up the poop and spot it against their window. How dare their dog do this in my yard? What, what if it's your dog that does that and they come do that to you? Oh, come on, I know you've all fought it. Their dog does it in your yard, and you want to get back, right? Come on, right? But if it's your dog, you want them to not say anything because it's one time. It's just one time I missed it this week. (laughs) Right? Do do you really want to live this life? By the way, this life does not lead to happiness. You will not be happy if your teenage child thinks like this, or a parent thinks like this, or your coworker thinks like this, or your next door neighbor, the next door neighbor that thinks like this. You build a big fence because we don't like this interaction when somebody else does it to us. Orgies? Hey, that sounds fun. Until it's your daughter that's in the orgy. What's going on here? 
We want these lusts of the flesh to fulfill these things in us, but we don't want others to do them to us. So there's got to be a better way than the flesh, right? Eat more, you know, alarm goes off. You got a choice, get up and go to work or hit snooze. Blow it off. Five years from now, hitting snooze every day and blowing it off. Are you going to be happier in five years? Or are you going to be happier if you get up, discipline yourself, go to work and do a good job? Which, which one are you going to be happier with? Well, then why is it that you complain that the Christian way is so hard? Because the Christian way actually gives you life for eternity and gives you a better life now. And you know what? I don't, I don't care what you're... Second, can I just speak honestly? I don't care what your struggle is. I don't care if it's your sexual identity. I don't care if it's your diet. I don't care what it is. Listen, I don't care. I, stop making excuses. Just stop it. God's way is better. You're going to be happier in the long run if you'll discipline it. And I am not talking to you from some pie in the sky. I'm telling you, I, I, I having a discussion with somebody the other day about man's job is to love their wife, right? As Christ loves the church and gave himself up for it. How did Christ do that? He died. He died on a cross. Can I say this? Is this all right? Is it all right if I get an attitude? Can I let some of my attitude out? So I die for my wife. That's what guys are called to do, to die to put their best interests above mine, right? Yeah, like Jesus did for the church. You know, Jesus, that was magnanimous of you. Really, I don't understand what Jesus did carrying the weights of the world and the sins of the world to a cross, but it only took him about 12 hours. I've been doing this for 33 years. We get to heaven, me and Jesus are going to have a talk like, you know, you only got one day. I got 33 years. That's not very holy. Well, I'm not holy. Haven't we established that? <laughs> Why do I say this stuff? I'm saying it because we all feel it. When are we going to actually identify that when we give in to those, when we give in to those feelings, whatever they are, if it isn't God's best, it winds up here and you don't want to be in a relationship with this person. And that's why some of you don't like yourself. So there's an alternative. What's the alternative? Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. So this is what comes out when you follow the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want to be married to that person. I want them as my kid, right? I want them as my boss. I want, do you know why we're losing the culture war as a church? I'll tell you why. Because we have quit living this lifestyle and we've been pursuing the other one. We're losing the culture war because we don't live this attitude anymore. And if you want to win the how did the early church get persecuted on every side yet win against the culture? Here's how. They live this. Notice that last line. Against such thing, there is no law. There are no laws written on the books that are there that wouldn't be removed if we would walk in this kind of attitude. <laughs> Hold on. Laws don't work anyway, right? 
I know every one of those banks that have been robbed by somebody carrying a gun has a sticker that says no guns allowed in the bank, right? And, and you know, they walk in with their gun. Oh, I was going to rob the bank today, but I saw a little sticker on the door say no guns allowed. <laughs> Rules don't work. It's got to come from somewhere else. Where does it have to come from? The Spirit of God living in you saying there's a better life and the Spirit talking to you and you listening. It's hate. You're talking hate. No, I'm not. I actually love you. I want you to be free. I want you to have the life that you can look back on when you're 70 years old and be proud of. I know. I, I, I hear it. Trust me. All right. So how many laws would we need if everyone lived like this? We wouldn't. Galatians 5.18 says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. When you listen to the Spirit, your spirit wins against your flesh. I got two dogs in my house. Actually, this has always been an illustration, and people think that I really have two dogs in my house, and this, this is an illustration. It's a story. Except this past week, I did have two dogs in my house, and I did put one in the basement because they were fighting against each other all the time. But I have two dogs in my house. One is flesh, one is spirit. I put spirit in the basement. I never feed them. I don't give them water. I only feed them. All right, so if I let them out, it's once a week on Sunday morning for maybe an hour unless I've got something better to do. Other than that, I just leave spirit in the basement. I never feed them. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll feed them with the, I'll, I'll go sing them a song and give them a, a bite occasionally. But I never, I never feed my spirit. He lives in the basement. He never gets out. He never gets groomed and taken care of. Now, flesh lives upstairs. Now, flesh, that dog lives upstairs. Flesh eats every day, three times a day, four times a day, six times a day, including snacks. And, and flesh, I take him for walks. I take him out. He gets sunshine. I get him groomed every month. You know, his nails have to be perfect. Flesh, I take care of flesh. I mean, flesh gets petted and played with, and flesh, you know, we, we exercise, and, and I even got him a special exercise program. Yeah, yeah. So flesh and spirit the other day got in a fight. Which one won? Why? He's the one I took care of. Do you know why you're losing every war with your flesh? Because you're not crucifying your flesh, you're pampering your flesh. This is how you win. You have to crucify it. But that's so cruel. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? If that's your ultimate good is to be happy, I'm telling you how you can be happy. You just don't like it. You know why you don't like it? Because you have to stop pampering your momentary flesh so that you can have long-term fulfillment. Well, I don't like it. Neither do I. But I tell you, if you want to stay married 33 years, kill yourself every day. If you want to have the financial wherewithal to pay your bills, don't spend the money you want to spend on stupid stuff. You want to be able to play with your grandkids on the ground? Well, then exercise and do without some food. Do you want to, do you want to be the kind of person that your grandkids want to listen to you talk about how to live life? Well, then crucify your flesh and feed your spirit 
and follow the ways of the Spirit. All right, quickly, I'm going to end. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what do you do to your flesh? Kill it. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Robin and I, the part of the reason we got married is we did this three-legged race, and she actually listened to me, and we got in step, and we would run together. And to this very day, we go for walks in the mall, and we'll hold our hand, and we'll walk together. If you're going to walk together in step with each other and hold hands, then this leg here closest to me and this leg have to work together, and that leg and this leg have to work together. If not, you know, your hands are swinging, your legs are offbeat, it doesn't work. So we'll be walking down the mall, and, and we'll We'll walk, go for a walk around the neighborhood and we'll be out of step with each other. And one of us will do this. We'll do. Did y'all see what I just did? When you're out of step, what do you have to do? You have to stop what you're doing, intentionally get in step with the one that you're with. And the Holy Spirit is not going to change his cadence for you. You need to change your cadence to him. So how do you do this? All right. I'm going to give you six very practical ways to feed your spirit to give you the spiritual strength you need to win. Y'all ready? Number one, admit the truth. Stop making excuses for your flesh. Just stop it. There's no reason to make excuses. Just stop making excuses. Well, I, if you start a statement with well, I, just stop making that statement from then on. You are not doing yourself or anybody any good. Okay? Second of all, feed your spirit. Spend time in the scriptures. If you don't know how to do it, let me tell you. There's this book called Psalms. Read from the Psalms and then go to Matthew and read from Matthew through Revelation. Don't read Revelation. <laughs> Get to the end of Jude, go back to Matthew. I'll explain why later. Anyway, Matthew through Jude. And when you finish, what do you do? You do it again. Let me, let me just say this. I've been doing this for years and years and years. And I will tell you thousands of times the Holy Spirit has spoken to me in my Bible reading in the morning things I need during the day. That's true. All right. So third, have release. If you eat something, you got to get rid of it, right? <laughs> right? If you eat something, it's got to go out, right? You need a poop friend. This is not somebody you text while you're on the toilet. <laughs> you need those too, I guess. But do you know what a poop friend is? I got a couple. I'm calling one of them Tuesday at two o'clock. You know what I do with a poop friend? I tell them when I'm being a jerk. <laughs> I'm telling them what I'm struggling with. Hey, I'm really struggling with this now. And you know what poop friends do to you? You know what they do? They say, that stinks, stop it. They don't say, oh, you poor little baby. Because if you surround yourself with people that only tell you poor little baby, you will never actually grow. You actually need somebody to tell you you're being stupid. I remember Bob Stets looking at me one day and he said, that has to be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard come out of a human being's mouth in my entire life. He said that to me. Should never be my friend after that moment. It made him my best friend. You know why? Because I need somebody that'll tell me the truth. Have release. How do you get godly friends if you don't know how to do it? Go to a life group. It may take you years to develop a kind of relationship, but you gotta do something. Put yourself in a position to develop godly friends. Have a life group, go to a life group, get involved. Next thing you do, rest and refresh. God designed you to rest emotionally and spiritually. Come to worship once a week. That's what he says. Worship one day a week, right? Isn't that what he says? 
not worship one day a week unless I want to go do something else. I, I, whatever, you can take this or not take it. I don't care. But once a month is not regularly worshiping. And then wash, wash your spirit. How do you do this? We put on some worship music and you say, Jesus, I love you. I worship you. And you're going to think, oh man, I'm such a sinner. I can't believe I did that. Oh God, please forgive me. Oh Jesus, you're awesome. Oh wow. Don't think about that. God, forgive me. Oh Lord, you're so old. No, no, not that. God, please, sorry for that. God, I love you. Oh, you're, oh no, that too. Oh God, I'm sorry for that. What did I just do there? When I turn my eyes heavenwards, sometimes I see my sinfulness and I confess that and get rid of it. And I go back to how great God is. And that's how you wash your spirit. And you should do that. Y'all ready for this? Daily. Because I don't like it when people around me take a bath once a week. And then last of all, exercise your spirit. How do you exercise your spirit? Well, you give. Some of you think the only reason I tell you to tithe is that pastor wants my money. No, 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 no. There is a part of you that is incredibly selfish. And when you take that tithe check and you write it and you say, I am giving of my work and my money to glorify God. When you do that, you are literally killing your flesh and exalting God. And there's something that happens in that moment that's spiritual that actually gives you the life you really want. Same thing happens when you serve. I do not wake up in the morning thinking, how can I make everyone else's life better? I wake up in the morning thinking how I can get what I want. When I serve, I put myself in a position to give as Christ did, and that will actually strengthen my spirit muscles and weaken my flesh muscles. Six practical things. So my question to you is this. It's just really, really simple. I preached too long, sorry. But I, I wanted to connect with you. I, I, I don't want to preach sermon. I want to connect with you today. I want to connect with you. And, and this is what I want to say to you. If you try to get happy fulfilling your flesh, you will be miserable. But if you will put to death your flesh and follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, you will have a life you're happy with. It's your choice. What do you want? Do you want to keep doing it the way you've been doing it? Do you want to do it God's way? It's your choice. We're going to sing a song, and it's your choice. Maybe you want to come to the altar. Maybe you want to make an altar where you are. I don't know what you want to do, but let's take three or four minutes, and let's just... I want you to contemplate in your spirit whether you want to follow God's spirit or you want to keep following your flesh. Let him speak to you.